Um, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 27. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who, wo who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Friends, let's bow in prayer, shall we? Uh, gracious Father, thank you so much for uh, your word and we pray 
that as we look at it now, that by your spirit you would be opening our minds and softening our hearts, that we would be people who live sacrificial lives as Jesus did. We pray in his name. Amen. We've always done things this way. Uh, what are those words? They're the last words of a dying church, aren't they? We've always done things this way. Last six words of a dying church. Sometimes the way we've always done things may actually be really good and they might be the best way moving forward uh, to reach people with the gospel, but not always. Because when the reason that we won't change is because we've always done things this way, what are we saying? Uh, we're saying, well, this is kind of what suits me. This is what I'm used to. This is what I'm comfortable with. And I suppose the truth is that we're all a bit like that. I know I'm, I find change hard, particularly as I get older. But, uh, and we can have that kind of attitude even when doing things the way we've always done it is actually not all that helpful for people to get to know God and get to know God through the gospel of Jesus. This is just not a thing about church and how we do church, though, is it? This is something which is, applies to us individually and, and personally. Uh, are we willing to step outside of our comfort zone uh, in order to reach others? Uh, are we willing to give up our preferences for the sake of other people, especially other people getting to know Jesus? Uh, last week, uh, as Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 addressed the issue of Christians eating, up, eating food that had been offered up to idols, uh, we saw that Paul would give up his personal rights. Uh, if eating food that had been offered up to idols uh, caused another Christian to sin against their conscience, what would Paul do? Paul would sacrifice his own preferences. Paul would give up his own rights. He says, I'll never eat meat again if by me eating that kind of meat was going to cause another Christian to stumble. You know, in today's passage, Paul, that same principle of giving up our rights and our preferences, Paul extends that uh, to actually doing so for the sake of non-Christians, for the sake of other people hearing about Jesus. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which should be, uh, be good to have open in front of you, uh, there is a context <clears throat> to this, and it does seem that Paul had a problem that was being addressed. Uh, in verse 3, uh, it seems that there were some people who were sitting in judgment on Paul. Did you notice that? Uh, they were sitting in judgment on Paul. Uh, they believed that Paul was somehow second-rate. Why would they think that? Part of the backstory to this letter, as we've seen, is the issue of Greek philosophy and the love that the Greeks had for philosophy and indeed for philosophers. Uh, philosophers were the kind of celebrities of the ancient world. That's hard to imagine, isn't it, in our context? Um, but in their context, crowds would come and they would listen to philosophers uh, speak and teach. 
And I imagine that these days, if anyone's enrolling in a degree in philosophy uh, down there at Sydney University, they're, they're probably not expecting that that qualification is going to turn them into celebrities. Uh, and uh, they may not be expecting anyone to pay them to work as a philosopher in, unless they do a doctorate in philosophy and teach at the university. But what about in the ancient world? How did the ancient Greek philosophers survive financially? This is an issue. Oh, there were three ways. Uh, some would be supported by a rich person, a benefactor. Uh, secondly, some would they would charge money uh, for people to come and listen to them. And if they were really good philosophers, if they were really interesting and engaging, then people um, would pay them a lot of money. And then thirdly, there were those who had no benefactor and who did not charge. Instead, they would work in another job in order to pay their bills. Now, which of those three do you think people would look down upon? It's got to be the last category, hasn't it? Um, the philosopher who had to keep his day job. Uh, no rich benefactor would support him and people wouldn't, wouldn't pay to come and hear him. The problem was that if you applied that same value system to um, rating Christian preachers, which category would Paul fit into? The last one. Uh, because when Paul was in, uh, preached the gospel in Corinth, how did he earn his money? There was no rich benefactor. Uh, he didn't charge people to come and hear him. Uh, instead, in Acts chapter 18, verse 3, uh, we learn that when Paul went to Corinth, he met a couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila, and they ran a tent-making business. Um, Paul was actually a tradie. He actually had, uh, was skilled in tent-making. So he uh, joined them, and he worked as a tent-maker, at least until uh, two, two of his co-workers, Silas and Timothy, uh, came uh, to, from Macedonia to him to give him some financial support from the churches in Macedonia. But um, he'd had to make tents for a living. And people would be thinking, well, what kind of an apostle is he? <laughs> he has to have a day job. He has to work with his hands. Some of the Corinthian Christians may have even doubted that he was an apostle. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, the word apostle, of course, means someone who's been sent. And uh, as a young man, uh, Saul, the anti-Christian Pharisee, he had met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, he was dramatically converted. He came to know and to love the gospel, the gospel which God commissioned him to take to the Gentiles, which was them, these Corinthian Christians. They were the result of his work. They were the living proof that he was an apostle sent by God. And as an apostle, Paul and his co-worker Barnabas, they actually had a right to be supported by the church, um, financially, materially supported. Uh, there was um, three reasons why, that, why they had that right. 
Um, we, I mean, we see it in verses 4 through to 6 that uh, when Paul visited the church, he had the right to receive material support. And although he was single, uh, apostles did have a right to, believe, to bring a wife along if they were, or their wife along if they were married. Uh, but the question is why? What is it that gives them that right to receive financial support from the church? Well, he gives three reasons. Uh, in verse 7, it's common sense. He says, what soldier serves in, in the army at his own expense? Uh, what farmer doesn't have the right to eat some of the, grain, you know, the, the produce and drink the produce from the farm? Uh, in other words, if other people can earn a living from the work that they do, then why shouldn't an apostle? That's the first reason. Secondly, in verse 8, this is not just a human thing. This is just not common sense. This is also what God's Word says. I'm going to read to you from verse 8 and following. Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For if it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, uh, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because when the ploughman ploughs and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we re reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Now, by the way, I don't think Paul's saying here that he's not concerned about the well-being of oxen. You know, um, the, the point there is that in the law, that if the oxen are able to eat the grain that they're treading out as they do so, then how much more should an apostle be able to eat the produce of their work? And his third argument comes from Jesus himself. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent out um, workers to preach, he told them that they were to receive and ex accept hospitality because, and I quote, the worker deserves his wages. Well, have a look in verse 13. Uh, Paul says, Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. In other words, Paul had a right to receive an income from the Corinthians. He had that right. He's established that. He's no second-rate apostle. He had a right to receive it. But... He chose not to exercise that right. Verse 12, But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So, why would the gospel have been hindered? You know, these days uh, there are some uh, church leaders who become filthy rich um, through ministry. Um, I, I, I've heard of church leaders who live in um, <clears throat> huge mansions on expansive properties uh, who drive um, very expensive sports cars uh, who own their own private jets, jets 
to fly around the world. I mean, you know, um, flying economy, that's just so ordinary, isn't it? Um, and these preachers are often under investigation by the tax department as well. Um, uh, more commonly, there are preachers who uh, receive a stipend from their churches but make lots of money on top of that by conducting lots of weddings and lots of funerals and uh, charging uh, for doing so. In the first century, um, just like the philosophers, there were some evangelists who made a business out of religion. And for them, the word of God was a way of making money. It was their profession. Their occupation was sponging off Christians and getting people to pay uh, for them to, to speak. Paul mentions this in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, where he says, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. You see that? Unlike so many. That's the context. That's what's going on in Corinth. Um, when Christian preachers are known for uh, their ability to make lots of money, the gospel loses credibility. It's very, people see through that. It's very hard for people to, uh, to want to listen carefully and make considered decisions on the way that they're going to live their life in terms of turning their lives over to Jesus uh, if they think that the person who's preaching is a fraud, that they're just after their money. And it doesn't exemplify grace, does it? To offer the gospel at a charge. Uh, this is why, in my view, um, church leaders... Uh, should live lifestyles that are not any higher than the ordinary person to whom they are ministering and to whom they are seeking to reach with the gospel. doesn't mean that they should starve. I think Paul's established that. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they should be you know, driven into poverty, but they ought not to be living lifestyles that are any... Uh, more luxurious or salubrious um, than the average person uh, to whom they are ministering and are seeking to reach. Paul needed to distinguish himself from these profit-making preachers in Corinth. And so, uh, instead of receiving that which was his right, financial support from the Corinthian church, he did the opposite and he insisted on receiving nothing from them to make it clear to distinguish himself from the profiteers. The Corinthians valued the philosophers and the preachers according, in accordance to how much money people were willing to pay to hear them speak. That was their boast. But Paul's boast was the opposite. His boast was that no one paid him anything. Now, let's have a look at verses 15 through to 18 where he points this out. He says, But I've not used any of these rights, 
And I'm not writing this in the hope that you'll do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me! Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel! If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, in other words, if I'm preaching because someone's paying me to do it, then I'm simply discharging the trust committed to him. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Uh, he had the right to be paid, but he willingly gave up that right so that no one could have any just cause for accusing him of preaching, of peddling the gospel for profit, which was the context in Corinth. Now, friends, this, um, uh, this issue here is not, it's not really about... Um, ministers and their stipends and how much the preacher should be paid and so on and thank you for paying me i am amply supplied and have no complaints whatsoever at all thank you so much for your generosity the big issue here the underlying issue is uh, is about flexibility um, flexibility and giving up our rights uh, when necessary for the sake of the gospel um, so Paul's flexibility was demonstrated by the fact that um, of whether or not he would receive an income from the Corinthians. Why was he flexible? Well, verse 19, he says, Although I am free, that is, although there, you know, there is no wealthy benefactor who can tell me what I will and won't preach, although I am free and belong to no one, I don't belong to any wealthy benefactor, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I'm reminded of um, a story from Christian history uh, that in the 19th century, uh, in, when, when the European missionaries took the gospel to China, uh, the missionaries would all live... Uh, they, 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 they they based themselves on the cities of on the east coast on the coastline of China, and the missionaries would all live in uh, these western compounds, like gated communities, uh, in the major cities like Shanghai and so on, uh, where the other westerners lived, the business people. The purpose of the compounds was to protect the missionaries from the people who they were trying to reach. It was to keep the Chinese out. Um, and the missionaries would... Um, there was a little, little sort of European enclave uh, in these cities. Uh, the missionaries would... Uh, the men would wear their suits and their ties and their hats and so on, and the women would wear their <coughs> very cumbersome dresses, etc., that they wore in that time. Uh, they would eat the food that they ate back in England and Scotland and so on, um, because they were very comfortable with their European culture, uh, which, which, of course, was their right. People have a right to their own culture. They have a right to their own preferences. 
However, one of the missionaries, James Hudson Taylor, an Englishman, young Englishman, he decided to give up that right. And he did the unthinkable. He left the compound (laughs) and he rented a a house uh, in amongst the Chinese. Um, Then he had his head shaved, or most of it was shaved off except a bit at the back, and he had a, a Chinese pigtail plated into his own hair and he ditched the suit and tie and he started wearing Chinese clothes and he was a shocker. I mean, people were, fellow missionaries were absolutely appalled. This was, this was dreadful. This, no Westerner had ever done this. Uh, and the missionaries was, were ashamed of him. Um, he had the right to maintain his Western culture, but he gave up that right so that he could actually relate to the people to whom he was ministering the gospel and that they could relate to him. He entered into their world, and guess what happened? The Chinese felt respected, and they started listening to his message. And people started putting their trust in Christ. And then when other missionaries saw what was going on, well, some of them decided to ditch the suit and tie as well. And they did the same. So that over time, as a a movement began, and the gospel uh, left the coastal cities, went inland, uh, as people actually related to the people whom they were ministering to. The gospel began to, began to flourish in China and the fruit of that is still being seen with direct um, correlation between uh, the missionary activity that happened in that time and the churches that exist uh, today. Now, in that sense, Hudson Taylor is an example of someone who was, po- who was following the principles that Paul uh, had adopted 2,000 years earlier. You see what Paul says in verse 20, he says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, although I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, although I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. That's a long sentence, isn't it? Uh, To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. And I do this uh, for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings, the true blessings of the gospel, which is people being saved. Paul became all things to all men. Um, If he wanted to reach the Jews with the gospel, then he lived like a Jew. Uh, For example, in Acts chapter 16, um, Paul uh, took um, Timothy along with him on an evangelistic trip. And Timothy was not um, pure Jew, he was half Greek. He was not circumcised. Now, when Paul would arrive in a town, where would be the first place he would go to, to preach? He would go, first of all, to the, to the synagogue, to reach the Jews, 
That's what he would do first. And so, because of that, Paul had Timothy circumcised. Now, he didn't have to. You don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. In fact, you mustn't be circumcised if, you know, as a basis of being a Christian. But if not being circumcised meant the Jews would not listen to Timothy's gospel, then what's Timothy should, what should he do? Go and get yourself circumcised, as painful as that is. Uh, on another occasion, um, in um, Acts chapter 21, there were some Jewish Christians who uh, thought that Paul didn't respect the law of Moses. And so they weren't going to listen to him. So Paul went up to the temple, he had his head shaved and he underwent a purification ritual. He didn't have to, he had the right not to, but he gave up that right so that people would listen to his gospel. Now conversely, if ministering the gospel to Gentiles uh, meant becoming like a Gentile, then Paul would do that. Paul would not shun their dining table. Uh, if the Gentiles asked Paul to come and have a meal with him, he would sit with them and he would eat their food. I don't know if you can appreciate what that would be like. If you have spent your whole life um, on a strictly kosher diet, to sit down at a table and pork is served up to you, it may actually be difficult to, to even stomach it. But Paul would do that. Because to the Gentiles, he became like a Gentile, so as to reach the Gentiles. Now, what this means is that Paul would give up his own preferences, his own traditions, and his own rights for the sake of others. He didn't, he didn't expect people to become like him, he became like them. And that's what we need to be doing. Um, in verse 22, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I think there's a problem in some churches and amongst some Christians today uh, whereby on the one hand, um, people, who are, people are unwilling to give up outdated uh, traditions uh, which just don't resonate at all with non-Christians these days, totally unwilling to give up, uh, up, to give up outdated traditions because they like those traditions on the one hand, on the other hand totally willing to water down the gospel <laughs> uh, and to compromise godliness you know, because they think that that's a way of connecting with the community. Paul never does that. In verse 21, he says that he is not free from God's law. He says that, he is, that, he says that although he's free from God's law, he's under, he's, rather, he says he's not free from God's law because he is under the law of Christ. As Christians, we need to be totally flexible about our rights and our privileges, but totally inflexible about the word of God and the gospel. So what about those last words of a dying church? We've always done things this way. 
It's hard to change, isn't it? I don't like change, especially as I get older. But for the sake of the gospel, it's so worth it. Uh, in verses 24 to 27, Paul says it's, it's a bit like being like an athlete. Uh, verse 26, he says, Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. Uh, no, I beat my body and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, what's the picture of ministry here? Ministry is not aimless. It's not just beating the air. Ministry is intentional. It is thought through and it is intentional. And it's not selfish. It's about sacrificing our rights and our preferences for the sake of others. So therefore, what about us? What about us as a church? Now, are we willing to make the changes that are necessary uh, if we want to reach the next generation um, with the gospel of Christ? And what about you personally? Um, it, it, is it your desire to reach non-Christian friends with the gospel? Is that where your heart is? Or how much are you willing to enter into their world um, for that purpose? For example, how much are you willing to do things with them that maybe are not your personal preference? I'm not talking about ungodly things, but uh, neutral things. How much are you willing to do things with them that you may not necessarily enjoy, but they really do, for the sake of building a connection with them, that you might earn the right to share with them about Jesus? Are you willing to give up your preferences for their sakes? Are we willing to become all things to all men so that we might win some? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for um, Jesus, for the fact that he gave up his very life for our sakes. Father, we pray that um, you would uh, help us to not be selfish, um, but to think about uh, other people and think about ways in which we can adapt and adjust, give up our rights, so that others might more helpfully hear the gospel of Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing.